you got your Bibles, why don't you uh, open them up to 2 Chronicles chapter 29. 2 Chronicles chapter 29. Now the terrible news that the Bible proclaims is that we have, all of us, fallen short of the glory of God, and that are at heart, we are at heart enemies of God, who hate him, and are also condemned. That's the terrible news that the Bible proclaims. But the glorious good news that is proclaimed in the word of God is that our Savior considered our pain and our sorrow and even our own judgment and even our sin, he was willing to have that considered as his own. The Lord Jesus Christ, united to the church, one with her, pleaded for her, and he accomplished her salvation and care because he loves her as his own body. He considers her judgment and pain as if it were his own. Now, the Lord Jesus is the last Messiah, the final one, who continues now as Messiah. But we're not there yet in our look at the sons of David, are we? We're not there yet, the royal line of David. We turn today in our study of the sons of David, the Messiahs. We turn from, we turn today and we look at a very drastic turn. We go from one of the most wicked sons of David to one of the most glorious and righteous sons of David, Hezekiah. A glorious and drastic return, which seems to come out of nowhere. The thing came suddenly, the chronicler says. And so we're going to turn to the word of God. But before we do so, I want to invite you to join with me in prayer. Father in heaven, as we open your word to have it read and proclaimed, we pray you'd bless it. Lord, I pray that we would receive it as the the sheep of the good shepherd. We pray that you'd shape us by this. We would treasure it. I pray that we would be formed by it. Trust in you more and know of your love more and obey you more. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 2 Chronicles chapter 9, or 29. 2 Chronicles chapter 29. Hezekiah began to reign when he was 25 years old and reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord according to all that David, his father, had done. In the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. He brought in the priests and the Levites and assembled them in the square on the uh, the east and said to them, Hear me, Levites, now consecrate yourselves and consecrate the house of the Lord, the God of your fathers, and carry out the filth from the holy place. For our fathers have been unfaithful and have done what is evil in the sight of the Lord our God. They have forsaken him and have turned away their faces from the habitation of the Lord and turned their backs. They also shut the doors of the vestibule and put out the lamps that, and have not burned incense or offered burnt offerings in the holy place to the God of Israel. Therefore the wrath of God came on Judah and Jerusalem, and he has made them an object of horror, of astonishment, and of hissing, as you see with your own eyes. For behold, our fathers have fallen by the sword, and our sons and our daughters and our wives are in captivity for this. Now it is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord, the God of Israel, in order that his fierce anger may turn away from us. My sons, do not now be negligent, 
For the Lord has chosen you to stand in his presence, to minister to him and be his ministers and make offerings to him. Then the Levites arose, Mahath, the son of Amasai, and Joel, the son of Azariah, the sons of the Kohathites, and the sons of Merari, Kish, the son of Abdi, and Azariah, the son of Jehelelel, and of the Gershonites, Joah, the son of Zimah, and Eden, the son of Joah, and the sons of Elizaphan, Shimri, and Joel, and of the sons of Asaph, Zechariah, and Mataniah, and of the sons of Heman, Jehul and Shemai, and the sons of Jedathan, Shemaiah, and Uziel. They gathered their brothers and consecrated themselves and went in as the king had commanded by the words of the Lord to cleanse the house of the Lord. The priests went into the inner part of the house of the Lord to cleanse it, and they brought out all the uncleanness that they found in the temple of the Lord, in the court of the house of the Lord. And the Levites took it and carried it to the brook Kidron. They began to consecrate in the first day of the first month, and the eighth day of the month they came to the vestibule of the Lord. Then for eight days they consecrated the house of the Lord, and on the sixteenth day of the first month they finished. They went and they, then, then they went into Hezekiah the king and said, We have cleansed all the house of the Lord, the altar and the burnt offerings and all the utensils and the table for the showbread and all its utensils. All the utensils that King Ahaz discarded in his reign when he was faithless, we've made ready and consecrated, and behold, they are before the altar of the Lord. Then... Hezekiah, the king, arose early and gathered the officials on the, of the city and went up to the house of the Lord. And they brought seven bulls, seven rams, seven lambs, and seven male goats for a sin offering for the kingdom and for the sanctuary of, and for Judah. And he commanded the priests, the sons of Aaron, to offer them on the altar of the Lord. So they slaughtered the bulls, and the priests received the blood, and they threw it against the altar. And they slaughtered the rams, and their blood was thrown against the altar. And they slaughtered the lambs, and their blood was thrown against the altar. Then the goats for the sin offering were brought to the king in the assembly, and they laid their hands on them. And the priests slaughtered them and made the sin offering with their blood on the altar to make atonement for all Israel. For the king commanded that the Burnt offering and the sinner offering should be made for all Israel. And he stationed the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals, harps, lyres, according to the commandment of David and of Gad, the king's seer, and of Nathan, the prophet, for the commandment was from the Lord through his prophets. The Levites stood with the instruments of David and the priests with the trumpets. Then Hezekiah commanded that burnt offering be offered on the altar. And when the burnt offering began, the song to the Lord began also, and the trumpets accompanied by the instruments of David, king of Israel. The whole assembly worshipped, and singers sang, and the trumpeters sounded. All this continued until the burnt offering was finished. When the offering was finished, the king and all who were present with him bowed themselves and worshipped. And Hezekiah, the king, and the officials commanded the Levites to sing praises to the Lord with, this, with the words of David and of Asaph the seer. And they sang praises with gladness. And they bowed down and worshipped. Then Hezekiah said, You have now consecrated yourselves to the Lord. Come near. Bring sacrifices and thank offerings to the house of the Lord. And the assembly brought sacrifices and thank offerings. And all who were of a willing heart brought burnt offerings. The number of the burnt offerings of the assembly brought was 70 bulls, 100 rams, 200 lambs. All these were for a burnt offering to the Lord. And the, and the consecrated offerings were 600 bulls and 3,000 sheep, but the priests were too few, and they could not flay all the burnt offerings. So until other priests had consecrated themselves, their brothers, the Levites, helped them. Until the work was finished, for the Levites were more upright in heart than the priests in consecrating themselves. Besides the great number of burnt offerings, there were fat offerings of the peace offerings, and there were the drink offerings for the burnt offerings. Thus, 
The service of the house of the Lord was restored. And Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced because God had provided for the people for the thing came about suddenly. Thus far the word of the Lord. So we get the summary of his reign. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, the only eyes that really matter, right? And according to David, his father, but the first order of business, first month, first year, what does he do? He opens the temple and he cleanses it. His father had had ransacked the temple. He had stolen things from the temple and cut them up and given them to false idols and even to foreign kings because he cared more about their favor than he did of the favor of the Lord God. Now, why was this such a glorious thing? Well, it is because the Lord can dwell, a holy God can dwell with sinful people. He can be in the presence of sin. That's not his problem. Sinners, that's their problem because to be in the presence of a holy God while you are defiled, while you have sin, is to your undoing. It is to your destruction. You'd be consumed by his holiness. We saw this with Isaiah in the temple a couple of weeks ago, didn't we? Woe is me, and by that he meant damned is me because I am a sinner among sinners in the temple of a holy God, in the presence of a holy God. And so God's gift to his people was this temple, a place that dealt with their sin, that made a way for them to be consecrated or made holy or purified so that they could actually enjoy the love and presence of a holy God, for sinners to enjoy the love of a holy God. And so Hezekiah gets right to work, and he cleanses the temple. He takes, you notice, he takes away the filth And they take it away to the Kidron Valley. Like, let's take this filth away. And they cleanse it, not just by taking away filthy things, but they cleanse it by offering lots of animals. Lots of blood was shed, death upon death upon death upon death. And the people rejoiced because God had made a way again for a sinful people to enjoy his lovely presence and his holiness and his promises a place where he promised to hear their prayers, sacrifices that he promised, I will count those, and I will forgive you. That was his job as Messiah, little m, Messiah. Now, doesn't that remind you of his descendant, our Lord Jesus Christ? What does he do when he comes into a temple polluted by the filth of his people? He acts like a king. He doesn't ask that the temple be cleansed. He cleanses it with authority. He makes a whip and he drives out those money changers and the robbers from the temple. And he cleanses it. Now, why does he do that? So that it can be restored as a gift to God's people, a place where they can meet the Lord, where sacrifices are made for their sins and where they can know that even though they are sinners, The holy God hears their prayers and receives them and welcomes them. Now we know that ultimately that temple that Jesus cleansed with a whip was not the great and final temple. That temple was his own body. And there had never been a temple more holy than him, he himself in his body because the Lord God took on human flesh. He took on humanity. And in that temple... In his body, 
That is where atonement for our sin was made. That is the blood that was shed so that we, sinners, could be made holy. We could be atoned for. We can be forgiven and washed and considered righteous in God's eyes because of the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, our eternal temple. And it gets sweeter than that because the Lord Jesus doesn't just consider him on his own. But by an eternal covenant, he considers the church as his body. Which means now that we are also the temple if we are united to him by faith. And he promises also to make us holy. Firstly, for paying for our sins. For taking our sins upon himself. Being cursed and damned instead of us. Now declared holy. Treated as holy. Legally holy. But then he also promises to bit by bit make us holy, to cleanse us of our sins and to more and more make us into his image until the day when we meet him face to face and we shall be as he is, perfectly holy. Hezekiah's cleansing of his temple, that son of David, that little Messiah was just a foreshadow. It was a glorious thing that the people should have rejoiced in, but it was a glorious foreshadowing of our son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ, and his cleansing of the temple and the joy that is ours because we, as sinners, can enjoy fellowship with God because he has made a way by the temple of his son. That, by the way, was our first point, <laughs> which is the Messiah cleanses the temple for the joy of his people. And that brings us to our second point, and that is the couriers of the Messiah are mocked by some and treasured by others. Let's continue reading the first 12 verses of the next chapter, verse 1 of 2 Chronicles 30. Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah, and wrote letters also to Ephraim and Manasseh that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to keep the Passover of the Lord, the God of Israel. For the king and his princes and all the assembly in Jerusalem had taken counsel to keep the Passover in the second month. For they could not keep it at that time because the priests had not consecrated themselves in sufficient number, nor had the people assembled in Jerusalem. And the plan seemed right to the king and all the assembly. So they declared and made a proclamation throughout all Israel. From Beersheba to Dan, that the people, of, the people should come and keep the Passover to the Lord, the God of Israel, at Jerusalem. For they had not kept it, in, kept it as often as prescribed. So couriers went throughout all Israel and Judah with letters from the king and his princes. As the king had commanded, saying, O people of Israel, return to the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel that he may turn again to the remnant of you who have escaped from the hand of the kings of Assyria. Do not be like your fathers and your brothers who were faithless to the Lord God of their fathers that he made them a desolation as you see. Do not be stiff-necked as your fathers were, but yield yourselves to the Lord and come to his sanctuary, which he has consecrated forever and serve the Lord your God that his fierce anger may turn away from you. For if you return to the Lord, your brothers and your children will find compassion with their captors and return to this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful, and he will not turn away his face from you if you return to him. So the couriers went from city to city through the country of Ephraim and Manasseh and as far as Zebulun. But they laughed them to scorn and mocked them. 
However, some men of Asher, of Manasseh, and of Zebulun humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. The hand of God was also on Judah and gave them one heart to do what the king and the princes commanded by the word of the Lord. Thus far, God's word. Did you notice the two responses in the preaching of that good news, that gospel, that invitation that came with it? Same tribes, right? Same families. The couriers, the messengers were charged to go beyond the borders of Judah. Remember, Judah and Israel, two different kingdoms right now. Israel is actually enemy of of Hezekiah and his people. And he says, go beyond that border. Go into all Israel. Go into the lost tribes of Israel. Call them. Call the enemies of God back to him. Some laughed at this message. Who cares that the temple has been consecrated? Who cares we can pray to the Lord God? Some laughed. They didn't see it as good news. But others humbled themselves and rejoiced in the news as the best news they could have ever heard. The way to the Lord in his temple has been opened. The Lord loves me and has reached out to me, though I, am, I and a people have, have sinned against him greatly. He, my enemy, is offering reconciliation and he's willing to provide for it himself. I will come. I will come with gladness. Now, dear friends, I think you can see that the only explanation for the two different responses is the Spirit of God working in those who responded. We saw this as well. It says the hand of the Lord was on them to give them a unified heart. This is how it is with the messengers of the great and final Messiah, the great and final son of David too. The messengers that are sent to give the good news of his temple and his sacrifice and his redemption that he has brought. Two in the same family hear the same news. One hears it as trash and the other treasure worth giving up their lives for. Nothing is better news than that the son of David is in the temple and he's welcoming you to enjoy the presence of God. And if that was true of Hezekiah, the son of David, oh, it is even more so true with the Lord Jesus, the son of David. Do not be surprised by this reaction where you are mocked and scorned by carrying this good news as a courier of the son of David. Don't be surprised by it. The human heart hates the Lord, hates the gospel, might love forgiveness, might love eternal life, but doesn't want to be reconciled with God and doesn't want to worship him. And that's why it takes the spirit of the Lord to work this. What is not surprising is the mocking of the gospel. What is surprising and worthy of praise and honor to the Lord is when somebody comes to their senses and sees this good news and treasures it. Paul talks of this in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. Church rejoice. Though the world mocks and scorns the gospel of Christ and its couriers, its messengers, 
It is the greatest treasure and the greatest news a sinner could hear. God has made a way for you to dwell with him, though he is holy and you are sinful. And his Messiah, the son of David, has done this at great cost to himself. Third point. The people worship out of abundant hearts in response to a salvation that came out of nowhere. Let's continue reading from 30 to, the, uh, to uh, verse 32 of 31. And uh, verse, so verse 13, sorry, 30, 13. And many people came together in Jerusalem to keep the feast of the unleavened bread in the second month, a very great assembly. They set to work and removed the altars that were in Jerusalem and all the altars for burning incense they took away and threw into the brook Kidron. They slaughtered the Passover lamb on the 14th day of the second month and the priests and Levites were ashamed. So they consecrated themselves and brought burnt offerings to the house of the Lord. They took their accustomed posts according to the law of Moses, the man of God. The priests threw the blood that they received from the hands of the Levites. For there were many in the assembly who had not consecrated themselves. Therefore, the Levites had to slaughter the Passover lamb for everyone who was not clean to consecrate it to the Lord. For a majority of the people, many of them from Ephraim, Manasseh, Issachar, Zebulun, had not cleansed themselves. Yet they ate the Passover otherwise than prescribed. For Hezekiah had prayed for them, saying, May the good Lord pardon everyone who sets his heart to seek God the Lord, the God of his fathers, even though not according to the sanctuary's rules of cleanliness. And the Lord heard Hezekiah and healed the people. And the people of Israel who were present at Jerusalem kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with great gladness. And the Levites and the priests praised the Lord day by day, singing with all their might to the Lord. And Hezekiah spoke encouragingly to all the Levites who showed good skill in the service of the Lord. So they ate the food of the festival for seven days, sacrificing peace offerings and giving thanks to the Lord, the God of the fathers. Of their fathers. Then the whole assembly agreed together to keep the feast for another seven days. So they kept it for another seven days with gladness. For Hezekiah, the king of Judah, gave the assembly a thousand bulls and seven thousand sheep for offerings. And the princes gave the assembly a thousand bulls and ten thousand sheep. And the priests consecrated themselves in great number. The whole assembly of Judah and the priests and the Levites and the whole assembly that came out of Israel and the sojourners who came out of the land of Israel, the sojourners who lived in Judah, rejoiced. So there was a great joy in Jerusalem for since the time of Solomon, the son of King David of Israel, there had been nothing like this in Jerusalem. Then the priests and the Levites arose and blessed the people and their voice was heard and their prayer came to his holy habitation in heaven. Now when all this was finished, all Israel who were present went out to the cities of Judah and broke in pieces the altars and cut down the ashram and broke down the high places and the altars throughout all Jerusalem and Benjamin and Ephraim and Manasseh until they had destroyed them all. Then all the people of Israel returned to their cities, every man to his possession. And Hezekiah appointed the divisions of the priests and the Levites, division by division, each according to his service, the priests and the Levites for burnt offerings and peace offerings to minister in the gates of the camp of the Lord and give thanks and praise. The contribution of the king from his own possessions was for the burnt offerings, the burnt offerings of morning and evening, and the burnt offerings for the Sabbath, the new moons, and the appointed feasts, as is written in the law of the Lord. And he commanded the people who lived in Jerusalem to give the portion due to the priests and the Levites, that they might give themselves to the law of the Lord. As soon as the command was spread abroad, the people of Israel gave an abundance of the first fruits of grain, wine, oil, and, all, and of all the produce of the field. And they brought in abundantly the tithe of everything. And the people of Israel and Judah who lived in the cities of Judah also brought in the tithe of the cattle and the sheep and the tithe of the dedicated things that had been dedicated to the Lord their God and laid them in heaps. Heaps. 
In the third month, they began to pile up the heaps and finish them in the seventh month. When Hezekiah and the princes came and saw the heaps, they blessed the Lord and his people Israel. And Hezekiah questioned the priests and the Levites about the heaps. Azariah, the chief priest who was in the house of Zadok, answered him, Since they began to bring the contributions into the house of the Lord, we have eaten and had enough and had plenty left, for the Lord has blessed his people that we have this large amount left. Then Hezekiah commanded them to prepare chambers in the house of the Lord, and they prepared them. And they faithfully brought in the contribution, the tithes, the dedicated things. The chief officer in charge of them was Conaniah the Levite, and with Shimei his brother as second, while Jehel, Azariah, Nahath, Azahel, Jeremoth, Josabad, Eliel, Ishmachiah, Mahath, and Benaiah were overseers, assisting Conaniah and Shimei's brother. By the appointment of Hezekiah the king, and Azariah the chief officer of the house of the Lord uh, of God. And Korah, the son of Imna, the Levite, keeper of the east gate, was over the freewill offerings to apportion the contribution reserved for the Lord and the most holy offerings. Eden, Miniamin, Jeshua, Shemaiah, Amariah, and Shechaniah were faithfully assisting him in the cities of the priests to distribute the portions to their brothers, old and young alike, by divisions, except those enrolled by genealogy, males from three years old and upward. All who entered the house of the Lord as the duty of each day required for their service according to their offices by their divisions. The enrollment of the priests was according to the father's houses, that the Levites from 20 years old and upward was according to the offices, their officers by offices by their divisions. They were enrolled with all their little children, their wives, their sons, their daughters, the whole assembly, for they were faithful in keeping themselves holy. And for the sons of Aaron, the priests who were in the fields, the fields of common land belonging to their cities, There were men in the several cities who were designated by name to distribute portions to every male among the priests and to everyone among the Levites who was enrolled. Thus, Hezekiah did throughout all Judah, and he did what was good and right and faithful before the Lord his God. And every work that he undertook in the service of the house of the Lord and in accordance with the law and the commandments, seeking his God, he did with all his art, and he prospered. Thus far, the word of God. Now, In all of these things, we can notice a few things. First of all, that Hezekiah, as the king, he insists that this happens. He makes this happen, okay? We also see the abundance of worship. Did you notice that? The abundance of worship. Celebrate the Passover seven days. How about 14 days? Bring in all the things that is required so the priests have all they need to minister before you to minister before the house of the Lord, to make sure that you have offerings, to make sure that you have the word of God taught. Make sure you do that. How about we bring so much that they have to pile it in heaps? Did you notice the reason why this response came from Israel? We find that in the last verse of chapter 29. The last verse of 29. And Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced. Why? Because God had provided for the people, for the thing came about suddenly. It came about suddenly. It did come suddenly, right? You got Ahaz, one of the most wicked kings, and he dies in the first year, the first month of the first year of the next king. We've got all this happening. It came suddenly. It came like a flash of lightning in a dark land. God's hand did this, and they recognized this. This isn't something that Israel had been working on for some years. It wasn't this grassroots movement that they had sort of pulled themselves together. Maybe if we play our cards right, we put this magistrate in place, and he'll put that guy in place, and then we'll get the right king in place. No, this came suddenly, out of nowhere. This was the hand of God. 
This is a theme of God in his word that salvation is from the Lord and it pleases him to do it in such a way that only he could possibly get credit for it. This came suddenly. It was unexpected. Not something they thought that the line of David was going to do. Salvation is from the Lord. And this ought to make us think of the salvation that came by Hezekiah's great descendant, our Lord Jesus Christ. In John's gospel and in other places in the word of God, there is this stress that the Messiah didn't come from us. He was born to us, but he came from above. He came from heaven. It was, as theologians say, an alien righteousness, an alien redeemer. Now, that doesn't mean that he's redeeming Martians. It just means that it had to come not from us, but come to us. It was gracious. It was the Lord doing it himself. And I want you to see that the most gracious salvation produces the most abundant worship. Now, you might think that that would be the opposite. If we're not saved by works, why would we do them? People who are saved by a a massive work of God himself, they would be the people who are the least likely to be holy and obedient, wouldn't they be, right? Because you don't, there's nothing in it for you. You don't gain salvation, so why would I obey and honor the Lord? It's the exact opposite in this case, isn't it? And it is the opposite when it comes to the new covenant with the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul defends this over and over again. Well, if this is just by grace, aren't people going to sin more? What about, what about obeying the Lord? What about holiness? And Paul says, you don't understand the gospel. You understand that the mighty work of God and his people, because the Messiah, the Lord Jesus, gives his spirit. First of all, to give them ears to believe the gospel, but also a spirit that gives them new hearts. So that when they hear the gospel and they hear all that God has done for them at his cost and that we are nothing, the natural response then made natural by the Holy Spirit, that is, is to worship him out of glad hearts. This free obedience. Yes, God commands obedience even to his saved people. But it is not so that they get salvation. And yet, It is a more heartfelt, it is a more meaningful and a richer and overflowing obedience than those who are trying to pay for their salvation by themselves. Salvation came suddenly. Now remember, a little little while ago, we read of Isaiah talking about the salvation that would come by David's last son. He said it would come. You know, to us a son is born, to us a son is given. He said it would come as on the day of Midian. What's the day of Midian? Do you remember when, uh, when, they, were dis- when, when they were delivered from the Midianites? Remember how, they were, dis- how they, they were delivered? You got the fire in these pots and you crash and there's this flash of lightning out of the darkness. That's what he's saying. It would come suddenly. It would come out of nowhere. It wouldn't be this gradual thing. God would act and he would act decisively. brings us to our fourth point. (laughs) We'll continue reading, and our fourth point is this. Combat rival gospels with God's gospel promises to the son of David. 2 Chronicles 32, begin reading at verse 1. After these things and these acts of faithfulness, Sennacherib, 
king of Assyria came and invaded Judah and encamped against the fortified cities, thinking to win them for himself. And when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come and intended to fight against Jerusalem, he planned with his officers, his mighty men, to stop the water of the springs that were outside the city, and they helped him. A great many people were gathered, then they stopped all the springs of the brook that flowed through the land, saying, why should the kings of Assyria come and find much water? He set to work resolutely to build up all the wall that was broken down and raised towers upon it. And outside he built another wall and he strengthened Milo, the city of David. And he, in the city of David, and he made weapons and shields in abundance. And he set combat commanders over the people and gathered them together to him in the square of the, at the gate of the city and spoke encouragingly to them saying, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or dismayed before the king of Assyria and all the horde that is with them for they are more with us than with him. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people took confidence in the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. After this, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, who was besieging Lachish with all his forces, sent his servants to Jerusalem to Hezekiah, king of Judah, and all the people of, of Judah who were in Jerusalem, saying, Thus says Sennacherib, king of Assyria, on what are you trusting that you may endure siege, the siege in Jerusalem? Is not Hezekiah misleading you? That he may give you over to die by famine and by thirst when he tells you, the Lord our God will deliver us from the hand of the king of Assyria? Has not this same Hezekiah taken away his high places and his altars and commanded Judah and Jerusalem, before one altar you shall worship and on it you shall burn your sacrifices? Do you not know what that I and my fathers have done to all the peoples of other lands? Were the gods of the nations of those lands at all able to deliver their lands out of my hand? Who among all the gods of those nations that my fathers devoted to destruction was able to deliver his people from my hand? That your God should be able to deliver you from my hand. Now, therefore, do not let Hezekiah deceive you or mislead you in this fashion and do not believe him. For no God of any nation or kingdom has been able to deliver his people from my hand or from the hand of my father's. How much less will your God deliver you out of my hand? And his servant said still more against the, God, uh, against the Lord God and against his servant Hezekiah. And he wrote letters to cast contempt on the Lord and the God of Israel and to speak against him, saying, Like the gods of the nations of the lands who have not delivered their people from my hand, so the God of Hezekiah will not deliver his people from my hand. And they shouted it with a loud voice in the language of Judah to the people of Jerusalem who were on the wall to frighten and terrify them in order that they might take the city. And they spoke of the God of Jerusalem as they spoke of the gods of the peoples of the earth, which are the work of men's hands. Then Hezekiah the king and Isaiah the prophet, son of Amos, prayed because of this, and they cried to heaven, and the Lord sent an angel who cut off all the mighty warriors and commanders and officers in the camp of the king of Assyria. So he returned with shame of face to his own land. And when he had come into the house of his God, some of his own sons struck him down there with a sword. So the Lord saved Hezekiah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem from the hand of Sennacherib, king of Assyria, and from the hand of all his enemies. And he provided for them on every side. And many brought gifts to the Lord and to Jerusalem and precious things to Hezekiah, king of Judah, so that he was exalted in the sight of all nations from that time onward. Thus far, God's word. So after all the righteousness of Hezekiah, now comes an enemy. He's coming to destroy Israel. And we have two sermons. Did you notice two sermons preached? Hezekiah is preaching one sermon, one gospel, and you've got Sennacherib and his men preaching another one. 
Trust in the Lord. He is stronger than men. The gods of the nations are made by men. Our God saves. Don't trust in the Lord. Don't trust in the son of David. God won't be good to the son of David. He's like all the other gods. You should actually be more afraid because he told you to get rid of all your idols. And now you're going to be even more helpless. It would be one thing if in our world we had no hope being offered and then the gospel in that darkness. But we are not, that is not how it is. We have a world of darkness in need of salvation. And yes, we do have the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we also have in that world false gospels preached to try to confuse and scare people. No, don't trust in the Lord. You don't want to be with him. You don't want to be on the wrong side of history. He's a bad God. You want to be with these gods. You, you want to, the problem isn't as you see it. The problem is this problem, and you need us to fix it. Sometimes it's not no gospel that is tempting, but it is false gospels. But Hezekiah was no fool for proclaiming the gospel to those people, even though it looked like they were outnumbered. Hezekiah was not a fool, and his people, it says, they believed him. They were no fools for believing him, although for a moment they looked probably like fools. Assyria, you're going to get destroyed. You might as well bow to him. Right now, you should be seeking the favor of Sennacherib rather than the favor of the Lord. We saw how that story ended. Who was the fool? He had to go back. Sennacherib had to go back, it says, with shame of face. And then he goes to the temple of his God, presumably to help, to ask him for help, and he's killed in that temple. So brothers and sisters, don't be surprised or confused by false gospels. Trust the one that comes from God that is unchanging. He saves. He alone saves. There is one Savior sent by him, and that is the Son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ. No one else has offered to pay for your sin. No one else has been uh, damned in your place, and no one else has been risen from the dead for you. So don't just trust the gospel. Get around it. Gather around the Son of David to hear it often. And let his words drown out the false gospel of Sennacherib and the false gospel that your own heart is going to preach from time to time. Trust and hear the gospel of the son of David. Last point, I promise. The Messiah pleads for the enduring blessing of his people. The, the Messiah pleads for the enduring blessing of his people. Now, you knew this was coming. If you've been paying attention for the last few months, you knew this was coming. After glorious righteousness and salvation worked by Hezekiah, the man who's holding the title son of David, you just knew he is going to show himself to be not the ultimate son of David. You just knew he's going to do something like, ah, oh, we thought you might be the one, but you're not. So let's read that. Second Chronicles 32, verse 24. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death, and he prayed to the Lord, and he answered him and gave him a sign. But Hezekiah did not make return according to the benefit done to him, for his heart was proud. Therefore, wrath came upon him and Judah and Jerusalem. But Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride in his heart, both he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So the wrath of God did not come upon them in the days of Hezekiah. 
Hezekiah had very great riches and honor, and he made for himself treasures, treasuries for silver, for gold, for precious stones, for spices, for shields, and all kinds of costly vessels, storehouses also for the, for, uh, for the yield of grain, wine, and oil, and stalls for all kinds of cattle and, and sheepfolds. He likewise provided cities for himself and flocks and herds in abundance, for God had given him very great possessions. This same Hezekiah closed the upper outlet of the waters of Gihon and directed them to the west side of the city of David. And Hezekiah prospered in all his works. And so in the matter of the envoys of the princes of Babylon, who had been sent to him to inquire about the sign that had been done in the land, God left him to himself in order to test him and to know all that was in his heart. Now the rest of the acts of Hezekiah and his good deeds, behold, They are written in the vision of Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. And Hezekiah slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the upper part of the tomb of the sons of David, where, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem did him honor at his death. And Manasseh, his son, reigned in his place. Thus far, the word of God. Now, it is referenced in here, but we see sort of, if you unpack it and you turn to the story in the books of Kings and in Isaiah, you have two times judgments are, war- are given to Hezekiah and his people. Two times. God sees sin and pride in them, and he warns them of coming judgment. He warns them of coming judgment. The first time is a famous one where Hezekiah is, is he's told that he is going to be judged. Judgment and the wrath of God is going to come on him. Remember, he's going to, he's going to be sick, and he's going to die. And he pleads with the Lord. Remember, he pleads with the Lord. Heal me. And what does God do? God heals him. But remember, God gives him a sign. Anybody remember what that sign was? That it would be from God? The sundial moves backwards, right? It's this famous passage. And he is saved. Judgment prophesied on him and his people. He turns and repents. And they're redeemed. God answers the son of David's prayer for himself and his people. Judgment doesn't fall on them. Now, the kings of the earth find out about this, and they find this is great. They see how Assyria is destroyed, and they kind of like want to curry favor with him. We want want the son of David to be our friend. So when he gets sick and he's healed, they send send envoys. We just wanted to see how you're doing because we love you. We don't want you to be mad at us. He shows them his storehouses and all the things that he has, and he's so proud. And God sends a prophet to say, hey, I noticed uh, what, what did you, what did you uh, show the Babylonians? Oh, I showed them everything. Yeah, I noticed you showed them everything. These Babylonians are going to come. You're, you and your people are going to be destroyed. Although, it won't be you. It won't be you. Just your sons and your people will be destroyed. At this point in the story, if you're following on, you're like, I know what he's going to do. He's going to get on his knees. He's going to turn toward the temple. He's going to pray, and God's going to remove that judgment from his people. No! Silence. God prophesies judgment on him and his people. Oh, he's on his knees. Save us, God. God prophesies judgment just for his people. Crickets. Like Transcona in August. Crickets. He didn't care enough about his people's suffering to plead for them. It would have worked. Every time this man pleads for salvation in the temple from God's wrath, every single time it works. But when it's just for his people, because he's going to be spared for it's going to have to after he dies, he's not bothered to pray for them. You know this is different from our Lord Jesus Christ, the great son of David. 
in the Garden of Gethsemane, as Brother Cable read for us, he had two options before him. The judgment of God on his people, and the judgment of God on him. Now, he pleaded for himself. He did say, Lord, let this cup pass from me. God, Father, let this cup pass from me. If it is your will, if there's another way for my people not to be damned, please don't let me be damned. Nevertheless, your will be done, not mine. Why did he endure the wrath of God on the cross willingly? It is because when he saw the damnation of his people, he saw the damnation of his own body. He sees us and our suffering and our judgment as if it were his own. And he did not do what Hezekiah did. He pleaded for the salvation and paid for the salvation of his own people by being damned, being judged, by being condemned in their place. The Lord Jesus is a better son of David than Hezekiah. And he sees your suffering and your judgment the things that you suffer because you're a sinner, the things that you suffer because you live in a sinful world, and it counts for him as if it was pain on him himself because we are one with him. He is our head. We are his body. And that is why he was punished in our place. Not because he liked being punished. He pleaded not to be, but he was willing to do it so that his bride would not be punished. Dear unbelieving guests, the Lord is a God of wrath and justice and righteousness and he punishes all sin. Judgment will come. Your only hope is that the son of David considered your sin as if it was his own and he was willing to be judged and damned instead of you. So turn to him and do not be a fool. Listen to the gospel of the son of David. And dear church, the love that God has for you is the love for his own body. Rejoice and trust in the gospel of the son of David. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are grateful that time and time again, even though we keep demonstrating ourselves unworthy of salvation, salvation comes from heaven. Light, bright light into darkness and you have sent us a redeemer who has made a way for us to dwell with you, to actually not just be in your temple, but be part of your temple, sacrificing himself as the atonement for our sins so that we can enjoy you as he deserves forever. We thank you for the great love that you've shown for us, the love, the love that you have considered the church as your own body. And Lord, we pray that we would delight in that love. We would treasure it. And that that would move us to over and abundant worship, gladly offering our lives, not so that we might be saved, but because we are. And it was such a mighty work of you. Thank you for your great love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.